pray. Amen. So good to be with you, church. For those of you who are new or visiting with us, welcome. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew and looking particularly at the most famous sermon ever preached, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Jesus started out this sermon with a series of sayings that all have the same theme of blessedness or happiness. It's known as the Beatitudes. What is the truly blessed life? Where can true blessedness and happiness and flourishing be found? The whole world is looking for this. We're looking for this. And Jesus tells us, he shows us where it's found. He's not hiding it from us. We just don't like his answer sometimes. Last week, we finished looking at these eight Beatitudes. Through the Beatitudes, Jesus is teaching us that true happiness and true blessing can be found in this life, but it's so countercultural. His teaching, it's so otherworldly, it's distinct, and it's different from the way that many of us would most naturally try to find happiness and blessing in this world. Jesus taught us that true happiness and blessing is only found in being poor in spirit. It's only found in when we mourn our sins, that it's found in being meek and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus taught that true blessing and happiness is promised to the merciful. It's promised to the pure in heart, to the peacemaker, and to those who rejoice even when the world persecutes us for loving and obeying Jesus. These are the eight Beatitudes. That was Matthew chapter five, verses one through 12. And today we're gonna look at the very next verse, verse 13, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. So to a people who are living out and aspiring to live out these beatitudes, to us, his church, Jesus says, you're the salt. Church, you're the salt of the earth. He tells us that we're the salt. What does he mean? What is he teaching us? At least three things. Number one, that God's people are to be distinct and set apart from the world. But number two, at the same time, God's people are not to be separate from the world. Number three, so that we might change and influence the world for Christ. By calling us salt, Jesus is teaching us to be distinct from the world, but not to be separate from the world so that we can change the world. First, when Jesus calls us the salt of the earth, he's calling us to be distinct and to be a set-apart people from the rest of the world. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about salt. Salt is one of the most common, if not the most common, household commodity. Um, I bet you could find salt in all of our homes and virtually in every home in the world. And probably not just even today, but throughout the history of mankind, salt could be found in our homes. Salt was one of the earliest of all preservatives, and it was a valued commodity in the ancient world. Today, salt is known primarily as a seasoning, but before the days of refrigeration, salt was critical in preserving meat, preserving fish from decaying. In fact, salt was so important, it was so critical to everyday life that in the ancient world, wars were fought over it. Entire economies were built on it. Roman soldiers would even get paid in salt. 
That's how, that's how valuable it was. That's how much it was a tradable commodity during Jesus's day. In short, salt could literally make the difference between life and death in a time when fresh food was unavailable. When salt is rubbed into meat, it does, it does two things. It acts both to make that meat savory and to preserve that meat from bacterial decay. It's an antiseptic. On the one hand, it brings out the best. It brings out the savoriness of the meat. But on the other hand, it's a preservative. It keeps it from decaying. But only if, but only if salt is salt. That is only if it's chemically different and distinct from the meat. If it's not distinct chemically from the meat, then it's of no use at all. The metaphor Jesus is using is to say that his people, us, his church, who are living out the Beatitudes, when dispersed into this world, when we are scattered and rubbed into the societies of this world, that we're going to act both to bring out the best in that particular culture and we're going to prevent it from its worst tendencies. Jesus is saying that we're the salt of the earth, that whatever society, whatever culture we're poured out and rubbed into, we're going to make that society and culture better. And we're going to prevent that society and culture from rotting and molding into decay. But only if, only if Christians remain salt and we don't lose our saltiness. Only if we're chemically of a different makeup from the rest of the world, as it were. If we're the same, if we're the same as the world, we can't help it. Only if we're not the same as the thing that's decaying. Only if Christians remain distinct and set apart from the rest of the world. Jesus is saying that the whole earth, in its present condition, in its present culture and standards and values, it's decaying because of sin, because of its rejection of Jesus, it's rotting and molding into decay. But Jesus is saying, you church, you're the salt. You're the salt of the earth. You can keep it from decaying. And more than that, you can bring out its best and bring flourishing even. But only if, only if salt is salt, only if you're set apart and distinct and different from the rest of the world. And notice Jesus says, you are salt. The verb is indicative, not imperative. Jesus isn't commanding us to be salt, but he's telling us, no, this is who you are. You are salt. More than telling us to be distinct, more than telling us to be set apart, he's telling us, you are distinct. You are set apart. That's what I've made you. You are salt, so be salt. You are the salt of the earth, so act and live like the salt of the earth. Christians are radically different from from unbelievers. In fact, one of the major themes in the Bible is God calling out a people for himself from the wider community. He's calling out a people to be his particular, distinct, set apart, different people. 1 Peter 2.9 says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And so how are a distinct and set apart people to live? In other words, what does biblically salty living look like in this world? Well, Jesus taught us already, right? Through the Beatitudes, We are salt when we live out the Beatitudes, when we are poor in spirit, not rich. You know, the world is going to say, I'm able, I can do it. I have the inner strength. I have what it takes to make it. I don't need anyone to save me. 
But Christians are different. Christians say, I'm unable. I can't do it. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. I can earn nothing. All that I have, I have because of grace. I can't make it. I need someone desperately to come and save me. We are people who mourn our sins. We don't celebrate our self-righteousness. We're people who mourn the sins in this world. We're not an apathetic people. We don't ignore sin. We don't turn a blind eye to it. We don't relativize sin. We don't say, oh, my sin's not as bad as that, so it's okay. We don't make compromises with, with sin. We don't surrender to sin. We don't say, I've been fighting this sin for years and yet I've received no victory and so I guess life is going to just be this way. We don't make compromises with sin. We don't surrender to sin. We mourn our sins. We mourn our sins and the sins of this world. Christians are a meek people. We're not a weak people, we're meek people. In Christ, we do have strength. We have incredible power. But what makes us different is that we use our power not to serve ourselves. We use our power to serve others. That's when we're being the salt of the earth, when we consider others better than ourselves. God's people are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're people that looks at the injustice of racism We look at it. We don't turn a blind eye to it. We look at it. We look at the mistreatment of women in society. We look at the killing of the unborn and we mourn. And we mourn, but we don't just mourn. We fight to bring in righteousness and justice and mercy. See, Jesus taught us already what it means to be salt, what it means to be distinct, different in this world. He said, we're going to be a merciful people. When the rest of the world cries out for vengeance and retribution, We're going to be different. We're going to be distinct. We're going to be merciful in light of the mercy that we've received from Christ. He said, we're going to be pure in heart. What does this mean? When the unbelievers in this world are giving away their hearts to anything and everything that promises them happiness and joy in this life, to money, to sex, to men's empty praise, We're going to be pure in heart. We're going to be unmixed in our affections. We're going to be a people that aren't ruled by many masters, but only one master. He said we're going to be peacemakers, that we're going to win people, not through Twitter wars, not with Facebook rampage, but with gentleness and kindness through our hospitality, not through anonymous insulting, but face-to-face inviting people into our homes and into our lives. And the last beatitude, he taught that even after living in this way, if the world doesn't embrace us with open arms, but instead it persecutes us for loving Jesus and calls us closed-minded and bigoted and stupid and foolish for obeying the words in this book that we call the Bible, that we're going to be a rejoicing people, rejoicing in the midst of suffering, being joyful even when we're being reviled. That's a powerful way to be distinct and different in the world today. The world knows nothing about suffering with joy, joyfully serving and being kind even when we're insulted. Ultimately, we're reflecting our King Jesus, right? Who though he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Though he suffered, he did not threaten. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This kind of living just might change the world. And so first when Jesus says, you are salt, he's saying, church, you're distinct. There's a distinct flavor about you. You're set apart. He's saying simply, my people are going to live different. They're gonna live different. They're gonna be different. Why? Because they're different. Because I've called them out. I've set them apart. But here's the second point. 
while Christians are to be distinct and set apart from the world, we cannot separate from the world. While living different from the world, we can't be indifferent to the world. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, right? Not just you are the salt, but you are the salt of the earth. Pastor Tony Evans says, you are the salt of the earth, not the salt of the salt shaker. In other words, as long as salt stays in its salt shaker, it can't do what it can do. If the salt is not rubbed into the wound, it can't heal. If the salt does not come, to, come in contact with the meat, it can't keep it from decaying. It can't make it savory. And so as long as Christians are staying in its Christian bubble, its Christian huddle, it cannot bring any healing to a hurting world. Long as we refuse to enter into today's society, it can't prevent the decay of today's society. Long as we refuse to enter into and participate in its cultures, it can't bring out the best of today's culture and make it flourish. And so, yes, Christians are to be distinct and set apart, but our being distinct and set apart will do the world no good if we're not also at the same time rubbed into the culture, if we're not at the same time scattered into living in everyday, meaningful, intentional contact with people that don't know Jesus. So on the one hand, we must be distinct and set apart. If we're not different, we can't help the world. But on the other hand, if we live such private and isolated lives and stay in the salt shaker, we won't be able to help the world either. As Christians, we have a real hard time keeping both of these callings, don't we? Some of us, we keep that first calling really well. At one extreme, there's some of us that may be isolating ourselves, isolating our families from anything that's of this world, right? You don't own a TV, you don't watch rated R movies, you only listen to Christian radio stations, you homeschool your kids, you only eat at Chick-fil-A and not any other heathen restaurants. <laughs> uh, Angela and I, we homeschool our kids and I could eat Chick-fil-A for days. These things aren't bad at all, they're good. Not watching rated R movies might just might be helpful in you also not looking at pornography. All these things are good, but it becomes dangerous if the reason, if the reason we do those things is so that we can isolate, so that we can shield ourselves from this evil world that we're called into. When we live this way, we start losing the ability to look upon unbelievers with compassion because all we can see is the sin. We don't know their stories because they're not in our lives and we don't have a relationship with them. It just becomes too easy to just judge, just to be disgusted. How can they live that way? How could they do such and such? I could never do that, right, without having compassion. But I'm called to holiness, you might be saying. But I need to protect my family from the evil in this world, you might be saying. But think about this. Jesus lived an absolutely sinless and righteous and holy life, didn't he? But he was, he was absolutely distinct and set apart, but he lived that righteous life, that holy life, in such a way that caused prostitutes and tax collectors to want to just be near him. The calling isn't just to live a holy life. The calling is to live that holy life while you're rubbed into the world. Jesus lived this life distinct and set apart life while having dinner with prostitutes and tax collectors. Otherwise, Jesus says, your saltiness is good for nothing, only to be thrown out and trampled upon by men. And the other extreme, 
Some of you do a really good job at obeying the second calling, right? You wanna be so understanding. You wanna empathize with unbelievers in this world. And so you decide that the best way you can do that is just, just become like the world, to do what they do, watch what they watch, to laugh at the same jokes, to pursue the same things in the same way. You don't have any problems being rubbed into the world, but what? But you've lost your distinctiveness. You've lost your saltiness, your set-apartness. You're not living apart. You've so engrossed yourself into today's entertainment industry, for example. You know, sometimes I find myself sitting through an entire movie that has so many cuss words in it, and the words, the language just didn't register, sadly. Become desensitized. Some of us can sit through an hour-long TV show where 20 minutes of it is our sex scenes, and you've sat through it all without even blushing. Jeremiah 6 talks about a people who are so intertwined with the world that they've forgotten how to blush. Church, have we forgotten how to blush? Do your neighbors neighbors know you're a Christian? Do your friends know that you've been saved by Jesus? And if they do, do they think, man, yeah, they live different. They're so different. I disagree. I find it strange, but at the same time, strangely attractive. Some of us, I fear a lot of us, have become so much like the world that you've lost your distinctive saltiness. As Christians, because Jesus has saved us, right? Because the greatest reality in all the universe that could happen to a person has happened to you, we should be different. We should be a little different. In the way that we spend our money, the way that we give, we should be different. In the way that we spend our time, we should be different, right? You go on a date, your date should look different. The way that you dress should look different. The way that we respond when we're insulted should look different. We should be different because God called us out of something. He set us apart and he called us to be distinct people. Like we said, Jesus hung out and dined with the time's most open sinners, but his holiness was unquestioned. His righteousness was unmatched. Both extremes are wrong, aren't they? The challenge of the believer is learning how to obey both Callings, learning to live the way that Jesus lived, separate and distinct, but oh so rubbed into the lives of the poor, into the lives of the marginalized, the sexually promiscuous, and the greedy, money-loving people. Jesus ate with them. Church, are we eating with them? And as we eat with them, are we different? The salt has to be rubbed into the meat. It has to be soaked into the fish. Otherwise, it does no good. Salt is a penetrating commodity. Unless it's rubbed in, unless it comes into contact, it can't do the good that it can do. The great tragedy is that we, the church, the ones who actually have the power to keep a society from decaying, We're the ones who have the power to heal deep wounds. We stay hidden inside church walls and inside our own little homes instead of getting rubbed into the community. That's where we belong. John Stott, an Anglican priest preaching on this text said, of course it's good to come to church so as long as you don't do it too often. Christians should gather. We need to gather. We must gather, but we can't stay gathered can't stay gathered or we'll be of no use to a world that's perishing and decaying. And so what is Jesus teaching us by calling us salt? He's teaching us that we're to be distinct from the world, but not to separate from the world. And here's the last point, so that we can change the world. So that we can change the world. Can we change society? 
You know, we believe that individual human beings can change, but do we believe society can change? Let's think about our national culture, its consensus on moral questions, its view of marriage and sex and the family, its attitude toward human life and its sanctity, including the lives of the unborn and the elderly. Let's think about its administration of its justice, its treatment of the poor, its care for human rights, especially in regard to women and minorities and immigrants. These are the things that make up a nation's moral culture. Now, today's society, our nation's culture can't ever be perfect. It can't ever be perfect. That's not the goal until Jesus comes back and creates a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no perfect kingdom in this world. But the question is, okay, Today's society, the moral culture of this city, it can't ever be perfectly just, but can it be more just? Can't ever be perfectly just, but can it be more just? It can't ever be perfectly merciful, but can it be more merciful? Can it be more free? Can it be more compassionate? Can it be more pleasing to God? This has to be the attitude and the calling of the believer in this world. Christians, we are not pessimists. We are deeply a hopeful people. We look at anything, no matter how bad, no matter how evil, no matter how far gone it seems, we look at it and we think to ourselves, Jesus can change that. He's changed me after all. He can change that too. You may be saying, no, it can never change. It's too far gone. The people in charge are too evil. Systems too corrupt and it's people too divided. You may be saying, just look around. Things aren't getting any better. They're getting worse. Just look at the news. Have you scrolled through social media? Do you know what's happening in middle school these days? Today's culture and its society is rotting and decaying, you might be saying. Yes, you're exactly right. And Jesus knew it would be this way. And so that's why he said, you're the salt of the earth. He's saying the world in its current state, it's decaying, it needs salt. And guess what? You're the salt. If you put salt in meat or fish, something happens. Something happens. The bacterial decay is hindered. If you put salt on a wound, something happens. The salt acts as an antiseptic and healing takes place. And so who is to blame for a society that's deteriorating? As we look at the world and it's so messed up, who's to blame? Whose fault is it? Well, we can name a lot of people, right? It's the government's fault. It's the media's fault. It's the fault of the rich. Fault of the poor, it's the fault of the conservatives, it's the fault of the liberals, we can go on and on. But based upon what Jesus is saying here, let me propose something to us, church. If society is decaying, and it is, if society is decaying, maybe, just maybe, it's our fault. It's the church's fault. It's Christian's fault. Maybe it's the fault of the salt that has lost its saltiness. Maybe it's the fault of the salt that has refused to venture out but stays in its salt shaker. Let me say it like this. If the meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there's no reason in blaming the meat for its decay. That's just what happens when bacteria is allowed to breed unchecked. The question is, where's the salt? If society becomes corrupt like stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society for its corruption. That's just what happens when human evil is unrestrained, when salt is absent. The question is, where's the church? Where's the Christian? Where are the believers who Jesus said, the world is decaying, but here's my solution. Here's the salt. Where's the salt? 
When God looked down on Sodom and Gomorrah because of its evil, because of its corruption, because of its decay, he said he would destroy it. But Abraham, knowing that Lot, his nephew, lived there, he interceded on behalf of Sodom, Genesis 18. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find that Sodom, 50 righteous in that city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham in his shrewdness says, okay, God, but what if there's 45? What if there's 40 righteous, God? How about 30, 20? What about 10, God? Will you display, will you destroy the whole city on behalf of the 10 righteous? And God says, for the sake of the 10, I will not destroy it. Christians who are salt, who are distinct and set apart in their living, but who are also so rubbed into the society will have a preserving impact upon society that otherwise God would destroy This text is showing us that just by Christians living as Christians in a city, no matter how corrupt, no matter how sinful that city, just because God's people are present and living as salt in it, God will extend mercy towards it. He will give it more time. Well, what about Lot, you might be asking? Lot was a believer. Lot and his family lived in Sodom, right? What about them? Well, Lot and his family were in Sodom. They were rubbed into that society, but they did Sodom no good because they had become so intertwined with Sodom that they had lost their distinct saltiness. Well, how do we know? Because when the angels try to rescue Lot out of Sodom, this is what it says, Genesis 19, 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, but he lingered, it says. He hesitated. And later on, we see his wife looking back longingly at the city that she has to leave and God turning her into what? Interestingly enough, a pillar of salt, perhaps serving as a preserving agent for all of God's people of the consequences that we too will face if our being too intertwined with the world proves us not just in the world, but of the world. And so we shouldn't be shaking our heads and looking disapprovingly and disgustingly at what's happening in our world. Jesus said, we're the salt. We're the salt of the earth. We're the solution to the decaying world. If we're looking at the world and rottenness and woundedness abounds, there's only two possible reasons for it. Either we're not living distinct and set apart lives or we're not rubbing ourselves into this world. What are you doing, church? What are you doing? Do you need to live more distinct? Do you need to live more set apart? Or do you need to get in there, right? Get out of the house, get out of the church walls, get into the societies and the culture of this city. The major failure of the church throughout its long history has either been to withdraw from the world into monastic seclusion or to conform to the world 
and embrace its values and standards. If we withdraw from the world, we can't help it. If we conform to the world, we can't help it. Only if we can combine together this distinctness and this rubbing in, it's that combination that makes salt manifest. Only then can we hope to change the world. Now, in conclusion, some of you might be asking, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? I thought this was week one of Christmas series. (laughs) Well, here's how it has everything to do with Christmas. A baby was born in Bethlehem and lay wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. He was born into this broken and decaying world, though he was not of this world. Jesus is the one who was truly distinct, wasn't he? But he didn't keep his distinctness separate from us. Jesus entered in, right? And that's what Christmas is all about. He was heaven's son. In him, he had the worth and the value and the power to save. But if he stayed apart from us and away from us, none of that power, none of that worth would have done us any good. He had to come into our world, be rubbed into this decaying world in our rotting lives at a great cost to himself. And so he did. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had to become poor. Though he was almighty God, he had to become a helpless baby. And that's what Christmas is all about. It was both his distinctness from us and his absolute unwillingness to separate from us that saved us. Christmas is all about this man named Emmanuel, God with us, right? He's God. He's distinct. He's set apart. He's holy, holy, holy. And yet, what? God with us. Came to be with us. He's with us. He's with us. And yet, nevertheless, he's God. Set apart. Distinct. That's what saved us. And so church, let us be the salt of the earth who are distinct from this world, who are set apart, but we are oh so unwilling to separate from the world so that we can change the world and point them, especially this Christmas season, to our Savior, King Jesus, who is God with us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Jesus. What what can we say, Lord, but thank you for Jesus? He is God and nothing less. He is set apart. He is distinct. He is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And yet one day in human history, he entered in. He refused to be separate from us. He refused to be away from us. He he refused to be transcendent and apart. And at a great cost to himself, he entered in, humbling himself, putting upon human flesh, becoming poor, becoming weak, being exposed to the sicknesses of this world and on the cross, even becoming sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, this great salvation, in light of this great salvation, purchased only by the one who was God, but nevertheless who entered in. Let us be a people who are distinct and set apart, but at the same time, Lord, refusing to be isolated, refusing to shield ourselves from this world who desperately needs to know you. Father, teach us even now 
Church, what do you need to do? Is God calling you to be more distinct? In what ways has your living become too much like the way that the rest of the world lives? Just by looking at the way that you live, would somebody be able to come to the conclusion that you're different somehow? Or maybe God's calling you to enter in just like he entered in. Maybe God's calling you to humble yourself, become weak, become poor, come in contact with the sins of this world, come in contact, intentional contact, meaningful contact with those in this city who do not yet know him. What is it, church? The world is decaying. But we're the solution. We're the salt. Let us be a distinct and set apart people that are rubbed into this world and point them to Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.